Hello and welcome to the first ever Grammarly uh, appropriate version of the Aussie Nerds podcast because now we have two people from Australia, me and Paul from the One Good Thing podcast. How are you doing? Yes, hello. Very well, thanks. With all my Australian charm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am de facto Australian at this stage. It's good for podcast networks. It's uh... It's good for getting people to say hi to you on the street. It's uh, not very good for my London cred anymore, but... Who cares? Australian cred out. is better because we have better coffee. <laughs> and vitamin D levels. <laughs> and beaches. Um, thanks, thanks for having me, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, cool. I'm so glad that I saw this movie. We are talking about the Royal Ten Bombs. Yeah. America's first royal family. <laughs> I... Anyone that ever need. This is... This movie's delightful. It's very sweet. I like it. It's also the second movie by people from your podcast that has incest in it. What is with you two? Oh, I mean, it's incest adjacent, I think. There's, there's, there's talk of it. No, incest doesn't quite get around to happening. Um, I'm sure given time, they'll, they'll cave. I'd like to see a sequel maybe where they were sitting around and going, oh, it's great just being mates, isn't it? We can, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to have sex and, you know, do the whole couples thing. And then half a bottle of wine later, a couple of episodes of Game of Thrones down the line and they're just, they're in bed and it's like, oh no, what have we done? Incest. Beyond the box set, eat your heart out. <laughs> it's, it's very, um... It's Wes Anderson-y. I was uh, about halfway through, yes. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm going to look up the director. And I was right, it's Wes Anderson. <laughs> Am I watching a Wes Anderson film? Yeah, yeah, I should have said beforehand. <laughs> but it's pretty easy to figure out, I think. Yeah, he, he, has, is one of... he has a very distinct style of both dialogue and cinematography. Yeah, I would say so. Every scene is a tableau. There's... I, I, I think one of the things that stands out most about these movies is that whatever point the camera's fixed on, you know there's a whole scene unfolding on either side of the camera. <laughs> and okay, occasionally he'll pan left or right, <laughs> or one of his trademark tracking shots to show you just how much work has gone into, you know, and how much detail there is in every scene. But I think there's a hangover then in every other scene. So you know that there's all this stuff going on that's very precise and detailed. Um, yeah, I think it's it, it might be his most Wes Anderson-y film yet. And it might be because it's my favourite that I think that. Uh, my favourite is still Fantastic Mr. Fox. Out of the two, out, <laughs> that one. Yeah, out of the oeuvre of two that you've seen. Yeah, out of this one in Fantastic Mr. Fox, this is the second best. I. <laughs> it took second me, best is still losing. Well, it's beating all the other ones that I haven't bothered to see. That's true. That's um, not too bad. I, I, it took me about half an hour to realize that they are wearing the same clothes all the time. Yeah. Yeah, they're like Cartian characters. They, they all have a personality trait, like the personality trait that makes up their character, and they have a uniform. Um, again, 
massive feature of most Wes Anderson movies, I think. I think that there are, there are a couple that I'm not sure about, which means that they probably do change their costumes a couple of times. But I think it's very... I mean, it's obviously a, a stylistic choice and a narrative choice as well. It it's, conveys quite a lot about the characters. The, um... And it also removes a lot of, you know, a lot of difficult wardrobe decisions. I wish I could oh. just wear the same thing every day. Um, in Australia, we have uniform, school uniforms. Mm. And when I left school, I'm like, now I have to buy more clothes and put effort into what I'm going to wear. Yeah, apparently one set of clothes isn't enough to last me seven days of a week. <laughs> I, I'm starting a job next week where I actually have to wear a uniform again. And it's such a relief. <laughs> I don't have to worry about whether something that I'm going to put on is unprofessional or, you know, I, I, I don't have to pretend that my cradle of filth t-shirts are suitable for the public. <laughs> I watched um, Queer Eye, uh, oh, yeah. a delightful show. And ever since then, I've been wearing jeans and a button-up shirt. Look, it's nice to wear a button-up shirt. I enjoy it. I... It's- I'm sure if I had to do it every day, it might not have the same sort of sheen, but getting up in the morning and, and dressing well feels good. Especially um, since you're the one that decided to do it. Yeah. It's, it's probably different when you're forced to do it. School uniform isn't great. I really wasn't a fan of school uniform. We had the same in the UK, or I did at least. In my upper school, um, my, ta- my hometown was a three-tier system for a while, so we had lower middle and upper and my upper school we had to wear blazers as well and it was the kind of school where if you were caught like a mile away from that school after after school hours and a teacher saw you you'd get a good one pull straight in that tie tuck in that shirt why don't you just fuck off to college if you don't like this Uh, it's horrible (laughs) school i hate my life (laughs) your life sucks um (laughs) the best part uh, about the whole clothes thing was mm. when he got out of that stupid tennis uniform and this and because he was moving on from his mm. failure and it was very narrative focused yes and he got a well, I think... haircut which i appreciate <laughs> i yeah he looked pretty good i'm kind of gutted that he lost the beard i thought the beard was a good distinguishing feature um I, I like to I like to think that a beard hides a lot of sadness, but if anything, it just emphasises the sadness. But you're right; it's it's narrative. It has narrative worth. The the tennis kit that he wears is him clinging on to his failure and like not being able to move on from his past and his infatuation with Margot. With Ben Stiller, he's wearing that tracksuit, and it's like a it is almost like a d- depression beard. After, after his wife dies and he's lost in this sort of torpor um, where he's unable to let his kids do anything risky or do, do anything remotely left field because he's so worried about their safety. The tracksuit is kind of representative of his... And the fact the, that the, the kids are dressed exactly like him. Yeah, exactly. It just says, it says a lot about his character. Um, I mean, Margot, Margot herself, she is dressed like some sort of old Bonnie and Clyde stowaway. And there's just a certain sort of hazardousness about her. I, 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 think, I think it just makes it feel a little bit rough and unpredictable. 
I love that what the running gag of Gene Hackman uh, called, saying, this is my adopted daughter, which is like, uh, it's so good because the first time it's like, you're accepting, blah, blah, blah. But the 50th time it's like, no, she's not my real daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is hilarious and kind of speaks to the incest part where it's like she's so disconnected from the rest of her family that she doesn't feel anything wrong about the whole being in love with her brother thing. Yeah. I mean, they're not related, are they? So it's... Yeah, so um, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, in 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 a biological evolutionary sense, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a little bit, you know, I can understand why people would frown at it. You and I wouldn't Paul, my eyebrows would be raised. You and Paul need to talk about your whole incest fascination. It's very strange. It's actually the reason we started the podcast. One of these days, we are going to get around to discussing incest on air, and oh, it's going to be a good one. Oh, I can't wait. I want to come <laughs> on to that. Um, I don't. I don't want to come on to think about that. incest. Oh, okay. No, 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 I'm leaving. Cancel the podcast. <laughs> Look, he, Here's, here's the main thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this whole movie is weird, so that's part of it. Yeah. Uh, it's part of the off-putting nature of it. It's like, it makes sense, but also no. It's, just, mm. it's very strange. I like it, though. Uh, not the incest part. Great. But, like, everything else. <laughs> we think the lady uh, does protest too much. Uh, it's, it's, very, <laughs> it's very fun. I, I like this movie. Yeah. When did you first watch it? I first saw this when I was around 12 or 13, I think. It was late at night. It was, you know, you have, we have Sky in the UK, which is like Foxtel here. And uh, so it sucks. Uh, well, yeah, for, for the most part, but there's about three good channels on there and occasionally Monty Python to be on. But my thing, I think, like I think a lot of our things was as, as teenagers was to be up at 12, one o'clock in the morning on a school night, just flicking through sky in bed usually it was south park on monty python or something like that occasionally there'd be a good movie on and i caught the second half of the royal tenenbaums on sky movies and so i caught all the really emotional stuff uh, that follows in the second part without <laughs> any of the build-up from the first but i loved it and even then without that build-up i was still in, in tears at the end that I... emotional those emotional moments really got me with streaming and um, having everything on demand, that feeling of discovery where you're like, what is this movie is less um, common now. It happens occasionally, but it's less special. You're saying because it's easier to get a hold of stuff. You don't have the ritual of searching for it in the first place. Exactly. Like, um, but parking three quarters of the way up a mountain and then walking to the summit. Exactly. It's, and some movies you still have to discover, but mm. no one does that anymore, except for weirdos like me. <laughs> I think, yeah, and there are still going to be people out there who do that. And the, the real diehard people, well, I'm sure Paul Salt fits into that. Not that I'm calling him a weirdo. I am. But he does have a thing or two to say about incest. His his favorite movie is Old Boy. He's weird. Old Boy is a fantastic movie. That would probably that should be in my top ten. Um, it is. It's is one of those. If if not for the, 
after the Royal Tenenbaums and Lord of the Rings, it's probably the film that I've seen the most because it's the film that I show new friends and partners all the time. It's, I yeah, Old, old Boy is a mighty fine first uh, favorite film choice. I think but I would say Royal Tenenbaums is better. I mean, of course you would. I was going to call <laughs> you the other Paul, but I backed out because that seemed Aww. rude. Oh, you can call me that. You can call me Goodman or just Paul. I won't get I won't get too confused when it's a one on one. Um, I might I might do, but I might not. I'm feeling pretty good. Um, Another Paul. Um, yeah. So so after watching it on after watching that second half on Sky and then finally figuring out what it was, um, I don't think I saw it again until it was on Sky again because I thought, well, that was that was fun, but it was late and who knows. But then I had the chance to watch the film again in full and um yeah just i must have been about 13 14 15 and it's been it's been my favorite movie ever since it's just every t- every time i watch it and what happens the more i watch it is i start crying at earlier moments earlier and earlier in in the film because i remember perfectly everything that's to come and you start to give new meaning to the things that are happening in the first and second acts so a little look or a or a throwaway line or anything can feel like foreshadowing now because I'm just, I just know the film better than I know myself, my family, or indeed my partner. So it's, yeah, it's just such a personal thing at this stage. It feels like catharsis by the time I finish watching it. I bet you can quote every bit of dialogue. Ooh, I, my memory isn't too good for that kind of thing, but what I can do is when I watch it with people, it's spoil it completely by mouthing the words and laughing three seconds before the joke lands. <laughs> oh, I, even yeah. better. <laughs> my favourite movie is um, Princess Bride, and that thing's endlessly quotable. Oh, yeah. Actually, Nell showed me that about six months ago, and I couldn't believe that I hadn't seen it until then. But I, I avoided it because I kept thinking that it was the Princess Diaries. Right. Yes. <laughs> I can see. I can. I can see why that mistake could be made. There's at least two. There's at least three syllables in that title that are the same. Like, and I knew that the sequel was about her wedding, so I'm like, oh, it's probably the sequel to the Princess Diaries, or the sequel to Muriel's wedding. <laughs> uh, either way, I, yeah, it's. It's great though. And I mean, it's, I think that they have similarities, you know, they have their own, each Princess Bride and the Royal Tenenbaums have their own special world that is obviously uniquely that stories. And I think that's something that Wes Anderson does really well. I, if, if it cut to uh, a kid being read a storybook uh, at the end of Royal Tenenbaums, I would not be surprised. Yeah. It does happen in at least one other Wes Anderson movie. Grand Budapest Hotel is, is, is told in the format of a story within a story. And yeah, it, it, it lends itself very much to the fairy tale. A bit of a bleak fairy tale with a crazy, amazing Ray finds in it. But um, best I think all, a load of his... Well, is, there, is there any other... Is there any need for any other, I ask you? But I think, the, I think most Wes Andersons do lint... Uh, lend themselves to the fairy tale quite a lot. I mean, the Royal Tenenbaums is narrated right by Alec Baldwin. It's treated like a book. The the scenes are intercut with <clears throat> shots of pages from. It's <clears throat> okay. The scenes are, the scenes are intercut with shots of pages. You know, the beginnings of chapters, prologues, epilogues. So it is treated like a book. Um, just one that you're supposed to 
see on the big screen. It does look gorgeous. I want to see every Wes Anderson movie on the big screen because of the cinematography. Mm. Uh, it's, it's incredible. It's great. There's it's such detail. Uh, yeah. It's like uh, he went with his set designer and he planned it all out. Mm. It's like, it makes me wonder how much he has uh, contributed to the set design in all of his movies or whether he just works with the same person because he's um, because they've got such a good working relationship. But every one of his films have that same attention to detail, that sort of care for symmetry and mise-en-scene. If, and if it does feel guess, like being in a doll's house at times. If I were to guess without knowing anything or doing any research mm. at all, I'd say that his first movie, he's like, I want it to look like this. And he was mm. very nitpicky about every detail. But by the third or fourth one, it's like, don't worry, I got it. It's fine. Know <laughs> what you want. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think, yeah, I think you're onto something because you can really see an evolution in style from Bottle Rocket um, leading up to the Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, I think there's, it's Bottle Rocket, Rushmore. And then I think it's the Royal Tenenbaums. I could be wrong here, just like I'm wrong about not knowing who his cinematographer is. But um, yeah, because Life Aquatic came just after that. But there's a definite ev- evolution there. Rushmore is really where it starts to take form. And then the Royal Tenenbaums, which I did manage to see on, on the big screen eventually. And we went to the Prince Charles in London. I actually went with Salt. Um, we, were, we were promised incest and we thought we couldn't pass it up on the big screen. <laughs> but, um, but what we realized when viewing it on the big screen was that it really was like a, a, a tapestry. You're, it is meant for the big screen, like most movies are, to be honest. But because of the, the detail and when you watch all these Wes Anderson movies... It's peppered with tiny details that could just be a, a, a look, a, an askant, like a look askance, or somebody picking up a micro, microphone stand and taking it off stage in the background. But it makes a bit of a um, an obvious noise, an embarrassing screech or something. And the it's it's <clears throat> it's really something that contributes to this whole feeling of being in another world that Wes Anderson does so well. Um, I don't know if you have listened to the OGT episode about The Life Aquatic. Uh, not yet. Which is another Wes Anderson movie, which you should definitely check out. Uh, and then you can listen to the episode so everybody wins. But again, it's, um, it was actually criticised a bit for being a bit too Royal Tenenbaumsy, a bit too Wes Anderson-y. Um, and I think it was before he rele- then released six other films in this style where it was just obvious that this was Wes Anderson's style. But in all of them, Life Aquatic and Royal Tenenbaums uh, especially, is this forming of this real but slightly absurd fairy tale world. And it's just in little details like in, in Royal Tenenbaums he has the gypsy cabs and he has these this family who are all artists who will contribute and, and put things into society like books and uh, uh, like fiction and psychology and, Dalmatian and drama, drama, Dalmatian mice, a prominent businessman, uh, a famous tennis player. And it's all these things. It's, it's created just for this world. And there's something escapist about it on top of it being laden with melancholy and nostalgia and longing and regret. And it's a really weird. Um, it's a really weird transporting combination i think it feels like a period piece as well 
I, yeah, you're right. I've never thought of it like that. I find it very um, distinct for, mm. um, for its time, but it's not part of any time except for the present. I think it does avoid being dateable. You can't date it, I don't think. There's nothing, you know, there's no, there are no dodgy 90s cell phones or any like awful electro hip hop or dance music or there was that period where all pop was dubstep. There's nothing in there really to date it. Wes Anderson just uses the same 60s music for every movie. Um, and it's, it's clearly not set in that time. It's like it's in the 60s, but was made in the 2000s. Yeah, exactly. Don't know where I am with you, Wes Anderson. You're pulling me all sorts of places. But yeah, it's, it's just that, mag- it's that magical uh, feeling that I get when I watch every Wes Anderson movie. Um, it's, it, it's so good and it's so strong in this one that I forget that Gene Hackman was a total fucking bastard to work with. Do you know, do you know about this? Uh, well, I know that he usually is. I don't know the story of this <laughs> one, though. He wasn't going to book the trend for this one. No. Well, what, what happened was Wes Anderson want, wanted him for the, the role of Royal Tenenbaum because I think you'll agree he's perfect for it. Um, I mean, Royal Tenenbaum, you could write a thesis on him alone. He, he is, is just layered with so much shit. But anyway, Wes, Wes realised that he would be perfect for the role. And Gene Hackman had reservations. He thought that it wasn't going to be the kind of thing he wanted to do. He wasn't going to enjoy it. And Wes Anderson promised him that it was going to be really good for him. Almost immediately getting on set, he was a monster to everybody. He intimidate, intimidated most of the actors, um, including Wes Anderson, um, who was just scared to direct him at this stage. They had to in, in, uh, get Bill Murray to be on set every day even when he wasn't filming just because he was the only person who'd stand up to gene hackman wow um, what a prick. he was he was a like total tyrant prick yeah is the other word for it but then after all of that wes anderson is the one who accepts responsibility for it because he says that he was the one who told gene hackman that it was going to be good for him and it was going to be the right decision and it's his fault that he and it was his mistake to make not gene hackman's which is pretty gracious. It might just be I mean, professionalism. It might be just not shitting the water that you drink from. Well, yeah, but at the same time, it's not like it, he was wrong. This is a good movie and he was good in it. So, like, the fact that he best. also uh, acted like an arsehole all the time is entirely on Gene Hackman. Yeah, well, it makes him a prick. You've always got to take responsibility for your own actions. There's never any, um, there's never any exception to that. But... Um, I can't tell at this stage if it's gracious of Wes Anderson or if it's just professionalism where he'd, where he'd rather not shit talk someone else for it. And uh, in order to be able to work with whoever he wants, or if he genuinely is so self-effacing and, um, and self-conscious that he thinks it was his fault. Hard to tell, but if I was, uh, but if I was Wes Anderson and this was my fourth movie, third or fourth movie, I think third, but, I could be uh, wrong. I'm wrong about a lot of things. It doesn't matter. Third movie, starting off a career. Gene Hackman is already established. He was in Superman. And like, can't get better than that. <laughs> so, nope. um, I, so I think that it was self-preservation. Mm. It's not like George Lucas, not George Lucas, Steven Spielberg for Kingdom of Crystal Skull. George Lucas made a, 
bunch of terrible decisions in that movie because mm. uh, he was the producer on it. But Spielberg's decision was the stupid fridge scene. And so even though George Lucas did a bunch of terrible things, the only thing Steven Spielberg will talk about is the fact that he decided on the nuke in the fridge scene. And that's when everyone just turned off. Three minutes into the film. Go hard or go home, eh? And we decided that to was, go home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, I, they, they'd lost me with the CGI prairie dog. It wasn't a good experience. That entire movie is just rubbish. Um, I like the greaser fight in it. The, uh, <laughs> yes. that, that just fucking explodes in half a second. And suddenly you've got all these people in leather jackets and, and like high school football tops just thumping each other really quickly. <laughs> I, I guess. I, I, like, um, I like weird, distinct movies. I don't like... The worst kind of movie for me is boring. I don't like boring and I don't like samey. It's why I skip most of the Marvel movies and only okay. go for the ones that are genuinely interesting. Fair. Like I saw so, is this segueing into talking about Endgame? Not yet, no. <laughs> no, this is going to come out like four months after Endgame or some bullshit like that. It's, I, I'm not talking about Endgame, but I am excited to see Endgame though. This is I am be, definitely excited. This is going to date the podcast, but this is, I'm going to see it today. And I'm so excited to see Endgame. Yeah, me too. And I think that's, if that's what we say about it, that's fine. But we're I'm, just bloody excited about Endgame. I already did the predictions, which I'm probably going to cut out uh, of another podcast. I'm just so excited. <laughs> this is going to be the last Marvel movie I see. I've decided to put a cap on it because I can't keep doing this forever. <laughs> and I well, I'm, I'm... Endgame is a good place to stop for me. Well, it's the Endgame. Why not? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to see what happens, but that's for the future. Yeah, that's all that matters right now is Endgame. Um, but yeah, so yeah, same samey films. Paul, Paul and I have talked about this. We talk about this often on OGT. A bad movie that's that's infuriating, mm-hmm. that's mean or, or spiteful or soulless or or just or ridiculous. All, all fine because it's engaging. You, as, as long as you're engaged, you know, you're getting that little dopamine hit and you're, you're, you're fascinated, you know, whether you're watching Showgirls or you're watching Jack and Jill. It's, it's when you're watching Uwe Boll stuff or, or M. Night Shyamalan stuff that your brain just switches off and it's, it's painful. So I like M. Night Shyamalan's follow. bad movies specifically because... I am an artist and I have a vision and my vision is trash. And, and sometimes that shows and, you know, that ego comes out in some of his films and it comes out in, in entertaining ways and happening. For example, Lady in the Water was really painful. It Lady was full was of too long. Full of avarice, but it was so painful. Lady in the Water was way it, too long for its own yeah. good. Yeah. If that thing was a it's, tight, like 80 minutes... But still yeah. trash, I would have loved it. It would be on my rotation. Yeah, it could have been bearable. As, as it was, it felt like it was about eight hours. So, you know, you, you've, same year is bad. But Wes, Wes Anderson, to, I guess to tie this back into yeah, him. So, so what I was thinking is that Wes Anderson has a very distinct style. So even if he makes a movie that you don't like, 
it would yeah. still feel distinct and like it's his movie. Yes. And I would say that despite the fact that it's recognisable and his style is very... Knocked me, knocked me pop filter there. Even though his style is recognisable and could be said to be samey, I think that it's an that in itself is an anchor that needs to be similar so that everything else can be different. And I think it's, even though he explores very similar things in his movies, a lot of it is loneliness and sort of failed father figures and regret and longing. Um, I feel like it's like an old Japanese artist who's just made, who makes the same film or writes the same book who paint or paints the same picture every single time to explore himself over and over again. Um, and I feel like he, he's doing it with a lot more success than a lot of people who subscribe to that kind of style. And I, and I think it's just branching, branching out into how that feeling affects everybody. It's not just, it's not just lonely men anymore, which it was for a while, <laughs> but um, he, <clears throat> he's really spanned society. I think in, in, in these films that he's done in these films that he's done, that's, that's, beautiful english but it's perfect I, I think it's true and i think it's relatable every single film but on the flip side my girlfriend is really not interested in wes anderson i've, I've sat i've sat down with her for a couple of movies and that that note that he strikes just doesn't appeal and i think she's more inclined to say that wes anderson is popular because it's cool to like him um i would say that when you have a distinct style a very specific mm. kind of movie that you make with like weird dialogues and long shots and things don't feel real. They feel like they are heightened. That's going to yeah. hit some people as being uh, good and distinct and brilliant or something. And then others are going to be like, this is just artsy fartsy nonsense. Yeah. And like there, there I, are yeah. people that fall in the middle and stuff. Um, I didn't respond well to the dialogue. I thought the dialogue was very strange. Mm. Uh, it didn't feel like they were real people. Mm. It didn't feel like how real people would talk. But I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that it's a, it's a different thing. And if I wanted to hear real people talk, I'd watch Family Feud, which I do all the yeah. time. <laughs> that shows us. FYI. Well, yeah. And I mean, who do, do the Fellowship of the Ring talk like normal people? Does Batman talk like real people? You know, it's it's not. I, th I think, like logically, it's not. It, it's not. It's not valid on its own as a as a criticism because this is cinema, and cinema is how you, you know, it's a form of expression, and and people are represented, and and they communicate in very different, often unnatural ways in order to get a particular mood or tone across. And you know, unless you're going for sort of hard naturalism or a Ken Loach film or something, you're just not going to, you're not going to get that. I, I think, I think an issue is when it's something so distinctive, like he said, that if you're not, if you don't sort of buy into it, if you don't open yourself up to the details that are behind those distinguishing features then those distinguishing features are all that you're going to see. It's the same with a, a music style that you don't like. Like if you say, oh, metal or psytrance or whatever, just sounds all the same. It's just, it's just screaming and noise. You're going to think that because you only listen to a few albums half-heartedly. But if you're a, a proper fan, then 
each album, each band sounds like a completely different genre in itself. You start to figure out the the similarities and then the massive differences between all these things. So buying into Wes Anderson and properly getting stuck into all of these films, you see they're different. They're they're very different films from somebody with a distinct style. It doesn't make them similar, you know. And um, with his style, you said that they looked, uh, that they felt like cartoon characters, um, mm. which is why I think um, Fantastic Mr. Fox works so well because they're puppets. So yeah. it makes sense that they speak and act very strangely. Mm. Um, I really like Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> so um, with with Royal Tenenbaums, it's the American royal family. They they are acting like the upper class, like we are above everyone. Mm. Um, but the so they're acting like they're royalty, hence the name, and the and then everything around them is like no, these guys are normal. And they are um, they are somewhat pathetic, mm. and it's only when they realise that that they can improve afterwards. You're, what you're saying that the 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 Tenenbaums are pathetic, or that they think everyone else is pathetic. The royal Tenenbaums, the people, are pathetic. One of them spends his entire life dressed as a um, in a tennis uniform because he failed mm. once. Another one is um, sociopathic, pretending to die and then not die and then die again. Mm. And then another one um, chopped off her finger and feels completely disconnected to her entire family. And then you have someone who is so paranoid that he has all of his kids dress in jogging uniform. Mm. Well, it's weird because I'd never really thought of it in terms of the royal family. I guess royal just staring me in the face there. It was pretty obvious, but it, it's 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 way more. The the the, the uniforms are a, a very easy way to convey regret in the past or something that's gone wrong in the past. All these characters are holding on to something that has happened to them in the past. You know, Richie Tenenbaum, who yeah, he he threw the Grand Slam that one day but it's because of margot marrying uh, bill murray's character uh raleigh i just call him bill murray, murray. Hey, bill, murray. bill murray doesn't have character names except for raleigh saint murray yeah he um because she married she marries bill murray in the royal tenenbaums and those two are connected he associates one with the other now and his his love for margot and unwillingness to move on is embodied in this raggedy ratty horrible tennis kit that he's still wearing um with i mean margo is still margo still dressed the way she was dressed when she ran away when she was a stowaway and she lost she lost her finger and it's she's cold and she's closed off and she she keeps all these secrets from people it's even though there is something unreal about the characters and the way they speak there is something that's very real about them and something very true that's been captured by presenting them in this way and like all of them are all of their personalities are hinged on some tragic moment in their past and that's i think that's the main thing that's the main theme that jumped out at me i I guess so when you get down to the foundations it's very similar to the to what you were saying about them being like the royal family and they're they're this broken unit 
but I would have thought the focus is more on the character royal rather than the the royal family. I, I I've never I've never looked into why he was called Royal Tenenbaum. You must it must be that it must be the royal family. But he is the he really is responsible for a lot of this family's heartbreak and you know the the way they were raised and he he was a terrible father a very successful uh, litigator i think but he's a very unscrupulous irresponsible man and really it's it's his story it's about him taking responsibility for all of these actions and for like the real gene hackman should have done on set um but you know about him realizing that he is responsible for these people he abandoned them when they needed him and can he you know can he make good on his own life by improving theirs um and i think that the the character focus there is so strong because even though they they're these on 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 the surface they seem like barely two-dimensional characters but they are they're so deep and well fleshed out um and the, the focus on royal himself is so strong that I think it just hid every allusion to the royal family that might be buried in there. And it's never, I don't think it's ever going to be the way I see that film. It's had such, left such an indelible mark on me. That's fine by me. Um, interpretate, <laughs> uh, it's art. So the way you interpret it is fine as long as, mm. um, if you completely miss the mark, then like with Fight Club, most people think that Fight Club, uh, that Tyler Durden has got a point. But the point of Fight Club is that yeah. he's a hypocrite, he's evil, and hmm. he's a fat, he's a stupid loser that cries himself <laughs> to sleep at night. That's yeah, the point of I Fight mean, Club. You this do is not a, want to be Tyler Durden. This is this is a society raised without a society of people raised without women, right? It's it, it's weird because there are people who support it and criticize it deeply for having a sort of men's rights anti-feminist tone to it but both critics and yeah critics and supporters both misunderstand it and it's actually just it's i'd say it's a deeply feminist movie it's about men who need guidance and and you know throws in a bit of anti-capitalism there as well it's you can't you can't there's no catering for for some people i'm only going to do fight club if the person that likes it knows that it's satire you need a questionnaire you need a little online quiz that you can give them when I, I see if someone says my favorite movie is Fight Club, I'm going to say, "Did you know that it was satire?" And if they say yes, I'm going to find that one person. Mm. Well, otherwise you end up sounding like someone from The Purge. He goes, "Yeah, Fight Club's great. I'd love to punch that guy." You go, "Oh, okay. It's not. It's not for you then." Yeah, uh, it's it's something. You art needs to have a window of opportunity to interpret it differently, but at the same time. Mm. If you're completely off the mark. Yeah. Well, um, there's, dis- there's discussion that's needed. And I think you might, we might have needed David Fincher or Chuck Polinick to step in and go, oh, no, that's not it at all. I bet they have. And then everyone just ignored them. <laughs> yeah. Tip- typical misogynist, Chuck Polinick. <laughs> okay. So with, I don't remember the music, I, which is a good thing. I guess, mm. because it means that it blends in so well with the scene. It's just a part mm. of the scene. At the same time, did you, uh, do you love any of the music in it? 
Yeah, of course. It's it's one of those things I've seen so often. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's going back to what we said about it, not dating it. It's not of the time. So it just feels part of the movie, which is which is great. But I mean, the Mark Mothersbaugh score is is great. There are, there are a couple of little bits dotted throughout. It's a mix of that and um, unoriginal music, non-original music. And I think it's stuff like... So the one that stands out to me the most is everyone by van morrison which is what plays at the end as they're walking out from um do we are we doing spoilers or is oh, this yeah, nuts. okay cool so when, when we get to the end of the movie with royal's grave um and that amazing um epitaph epitaph epilogue epitaph i don't no. know he's complicated yeah, the, the, right the what the, the words what are on his tombstone of a um <laughs> That say. Wait, before you say anything, use complicated words. The words what were on his tombstone. Thanks for yeah. Completely, completely I don't. Well, I don't. I don't want to embarrass myself with you know with getting the words wrong anymore. So I'm just going to say, I'm going to do a trump and just speak in words that have one syllable. Oh please don't. Um, I like it. It's it's, it's it's the engraving on the the tombstone that says you know he died rescuing his family from a sinking. Which is what he did in that in that entire movie, which is beautiful in itself. But over that scene, Van Morrison's "Everyone" plays, and it's it's just such so, it's such a good end track. It's really it's it's really cheery, but it's still got the melancholy in there. It's, I don't know whether that's because I immediately associate it with Royal Tenenbaums or because of the song in itself. But um, say. yeah, that's the main standout. I will say, what's the other one? Uh, I was like hard to say because they are linked together. It's like um, Johnny Be yeah. Good and Back yeah. to the Future is always going to be linked for me, even though that is a terrible mm. version of Johnny Be Good. I've listened to the original. <laughs> the original is way better. Uh, can't have it all. Well, actually, there's a cover of Hey Jude in this. Um, oh, yeah, Hey Jude. Hey Jude was amazing. Yeah. I like that song. Hey, hey Jude's good. It was, it was a good, uh, yeah, good use of it in this movie. My my favourite, now I think about it, is, uh, I mean, it's got to be Needle in the Hay by Elliot Smith. Straight Every time that comes on. That's, yeah, that's, that's one of those moments where, for once, I don't say anything to the person that I'm showing the movie. Um, <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm just, just full of dread and the shivers from what that scene is going to be how it's going to play out for anyone who doesn't know it's uh luke wilson who plays richie tenenbaum who finally decides to kill himself finally and um he's he's standing in front of the mirror and he cuts off he cuts off his hair he shaves his beard and then he goes at his wrist with a razor blade and needle in the hay by elliot smith is playing over the top of that and it is haunting it's so chilling um that is a song that will if that comes on and i'm in the car i'll just slam on the handbrake and cause a 42 car pile up there's no <laughs> there's no functioning when that song's on it's the perfect song for that scene but it's pretty it's pretty rough going i um i like non-pop songs in movies because they don't date it but i like what into the spider-verse did with its music because they wrote original songs yeah uh that it's sounded like pop songs my favorite is leap of faith for obvious reasons mm, yeah uh, yeah it i love music when it's done well 
and I can tell when it's not. <laughs> like in Suicide yeah, Squad. Really somebody who knows how to do this with a movie. Oh God, Suicide Squad is so childish. Suicide Squad it's is so... like, we have a, <laughs> Suicide Squad is like, we have a movie, but hmm. people like Guns of the Galaxy. So for about 50 bucks and about an afternoon, can you turn this into <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy? And they said, no. But what we can do is turn it into the trailer to Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Like, uh, you're hired. Yeah. We have a scene here with, uh, with Will Smith. He hasn't got any hair. Um, he's Will Smith. I don't know if you mentioned that. Do you have a, uh, he's, he's being a bit crazy. Do you have a song for that? Yeah. Do you want to use Black Skin by Kanye West? No, I don't want to use that. That's fucking obvious. You cur. What's wrong with you? Uh, it just it, 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 it was pretty it was pretty on the nose and it was pretty unsophisticated to the put fact it like I can edit better than that is just dis- <laughs> it, it says a lot because it suck. was dis- it was disappointing <laughs> well I wouldn't I, I cannot say I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of it but um, I mean comparing Suicide Squad to the Royal Tenenbaums I believe has never Ever been done before ever in the history of podcasting in film media in anything so you're a pioneer for that thank you the, the two can't be more more different as far as as far as music goes um i did um i did shawshank redemption and paddington 2 on this and i declared that they were the same movie i i will have to wait until i've seen paddington 2 but i'm willing to believe that i think i mean is it because tim robbins looks like a Teddy bear. Oh, well, yeah. But also, uh, not only that, and he's adorable. Um, he is. Uh, but not only that, but like, I, I, I'm not going to get into it because I already covered it on those episodes, on that episode. <laughs> but I, I'm very proud of making that comparison and it being a legitimate one as well. I'm I'm proud of you for making that comparison. What's, what's, the, um, what's the link? So the link is that they're both about an innocent person who was sent to jail and then improves the situation in the jail before escaping. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I hadn't really thought of that. I, um, and obviously Morgan Freeman's in both. That too. Morgan Freeman just plays... Morgan Freeman plays... Um, Colin Firth is he in Paddington? I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna. I was trying to do a joke there, but I don't know anyone who's in Paddington. So that's that's what that's what a bad joke looks like. Yeah, <laughs> let's not do that. But yeah, I yeah. that's I love that, and it comes from binge watching a bunch of movies all at once because I'm like mm. I just make links. You start to see them as a singularity. It's it's so interesting. I. I really like this movie. I love uh, how this movie was made. The fact that it has a distinct that it has a distinct voice, and that it doesn't feel like any other movie except for a Wes Anderson movie. And you're allowed to rip off yourself. Very true. I, I, and I'm sure people who say this feels like Wes Anderson made it. It's like he did make it. Yeah. So like, <laughs> get over that. What's wrong with you? Yeah. It's, 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 it's good because it means when I watch a trailer, I don't have to worry about watching it. I just know it's Wes Anderson so I can go and see it. Yeah, you're going to be like, it's very distinct, weird dialogue, interesting cinematography and some thematic shit with costumes. The rest is yeah. detail. Look, it's, there's, there's so much there once you get past the surface stuff. It's a, it's a really 
funny, sweet, and sometimes melancholy, sometimes very dry, and a really moving movie. I mean, there's there's so much there. It's, it can be. I've I've seen it between ten and twenty times, and it's I'm nowhere near reaching my limit. There's always going to be times where where I'm going to want to watch it again. There's so much there, and I really can't recommend what, watching more Wes Anderson. What's your? You have to let me know. Uh, I will definitely watch at least um, the hotel one. Cool, Grand Budapest Hotel. That's the one. Yeah. Um, I'll definitely watch that one. I say definitely. I'm busy. Um, I'll try and watch that one. I will, but I, I like that he has a distinct voice and that he isn't an egomaniac. Mm. Cause yeah. he can be like that. He's very reserved, very committed to his craft. Okay. And I don't usually do this, but I okay. do it with other Paul or Paul prime. Um, <laughs> because of your podcast, uh, mm. describe your podcast for the people. Uh, just a quick one line thing. Okay, we are called One Good Thing and we look at bad movies to find all the good things about them because okay. no film is truly worthless. So, welcome to One Bad Thing. When, oh. Yeah, where no tr- film is truly perfect. So what's one thing that's bad about this? I'd like to point out that other Paul dodged this uh, question completely and I either respect him for that or hate him for it. It's up to you. <laughs> well, I would just like to wish Paul... Every, every bit of luck in his running for office in 2020. <laughs> his, labor, his labor's only hope. Um, there, is, there is one thing that um, I cannot notice. I, cannot, I can't not notice every single time. There's a really awkward cut in the scene where Margot is in the, in the bath and she lets her mum, who we haven't even mentioned yet, played by Angelica Houston, um, come in just to try and talk her out of her funk and um she's got the tv tied to the radiator so it's sort of hanging over the bath and um eventually angelica houston convinces Gwyneth paltrow to turn it off and as she goes to turn it off the camera just cuts half a second too soon from her turning it off to angelica houston sitting down on the bath it's really unnatural and it bugs me every single time <laughs> it's, it's a very tiny thing but that's what i'm down to remembering is the bad thing in this movie you've i, I movie can't so really think of anything times. else but you've seen this yeah. movie so many times that you didn't notice that one bad cut like it's half a second but it bugs you because you've seen it yeah. so and that is how yeah. how brilliant this movie is to you you're like so what other paul said which was genius was that he likes the fact that it that old boy is off-putting to a lot of people. So he's like, the bad thing about this is that it's off-putting. But I like that because like only weird people <laughs> like me will watch it. I see. Okay. And, That's very clever. And you're like, there's one cut. It's half a second, but it bugs me. And I'm like, that is loyalty. That is loyalty to your movie. And I like that. <laughs> I would not do that oh, with I- Princess Bride. I'd be like... To, the dialogue can be a bit hokey, but I like how like off-putting it is and how rough it is to make. Like the fact that that when um when Wesley and Buttercup fall down the hill, it's clearly stunt doubles. I like yeah. that. It feels like it was made yeah. by hand. It's like someone just <laughs> had the hat in the clay. Because you got you got products 
that are made by factory. And then you got this one, which is like, yes, just gonna, just gonna put it in there. And it's, and it's very hokey and I like that. It's very fun. Well, I, I would say, you know, if you ask me what something that was terrible about Face Off, which I have I've seen probably actually an equal number of times to the Royal Tenenbaums, <laughs> I would say that... You got the Royal they, Tenenbaums, Face Off. I love Face Off. Go on. Yeah. Greatest action film of all time. Uh, they, there's, there's, again, you can tell that they're using stuntmen for the speedboats scene. And when they're flying through the air with the explosion in the background, you know, Nicolas Cage's guy has sideburns. And hair. <laughs> didn't it's, try just, at all. it's it's just yeah they you're right they just didn't try at all and it's glorious and i love it and i love face off for all of its campiness all of its just complete overkill the but most shocking part of film. the most shocking part of face off is not the sci-fi bullshit it's not the fact that nicholas cage is acting like john travolta acting like nicholas cage um it's the fact that it has like an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. People love well, this. Well, not 100. Inexplicably. <laughs> and I'm like, why? This should be like a bullshit guilty pleasure movie. But everyone just decided no. to have the same guilty pleasure. Disagree. No such thing as guilty pleasures. This is a fantastic action film with, with flaws, for sure. Yeah. But it is so enjoyable. You know, when, when, when you really enjoy something you're not looking at the strings that are holding it up, right? You're, you're, you're not, you don't care that, that that prop is janky or that that acting or that delivery was terrible. You just enjoy it unreservedly. And it's, it's how, you know, it's also how I'd look at the Royal Tenenbaums. I'm sure the criticisms that other people have, I would say, oh, didn't think of that at all. All the plot holes that people will bring up with The Last Jedi, for example, I really don't care about true, because I, I enjoyed the movie so much. True fandom doesn't mean that... To truly love a movie doesn't mean that you don't see the strings and how hokey it is. It's that you don't care. You're like, yeah, exactly. I get, it. You're just... I get your criticism, but at the same time, I don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it exactly. You know, there are strings. You're not looking at them. It's... Yeah, I. And, and the alternative is a, a good sign that I'm not enjoying a movie. You are noticing those things. So yeah, if with, you're with noticing... the Royal if you're noticing um, Will Smith's hairline throughout the movie, you're like, I don't, I'm already off board. Yeah, I'm going to be honest, guys, I'm not engaged. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, there are criticisms, there's ample criticism that people have for the Royal Tenenbaums, but I, d I don't see it. It's such, a, it's such a warm cocoon of a movie for me. It's fine. It's, it's, it's like a suit that I only wear once a year for for like a christmas ball or something it's 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 familiar I, I i know i like it for a reason and climbing into it once a year is the same familiar fit and it has a lot of memories there it's well made so the only criticism that people would have are things that wes anderson did on purpose yeah uh, like yeah i would say so and the weird um and the cinematography and the directing all that stuff that you mm. like other people might not like, which is the same, which yeah. is why I want to make, um, this is why I have two films. I have best films and I have my favorite films because best films are like, this has like great cinematography and great acting and all this other stuff. And my favorite ones are like Empire of Corpses is a zombie movie with Watson finding Sherlock, um, before he met Sherlock Holmes, uh, trying to get his boyfriend a soul from Frankenstein's monster. 
And I'm like, that is the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> that was a Wes Anderson movie, I think. It's also really stupid. It sounds great. That'd be interesting. I've never, I've never thought of my top tens like that, a best and favorites. <clears throat> uh, I got Princess then I... Bride and Wolf Children's my top two. And then I got mm. um, some good movies for like my, the rest up to nine. And then for 10, I'm just like, I'm just going to put something in here, which might not be the best, but I love mm. pieces. Like I got The Great Mouse Detective on there right now. That's pretty brave. I love The Great Mouse Detective a lot. <sighs> They named him Basil. I, mean, I, have, I haven't after seen the actor. I can't judge. <laughs> he, uh, Basil is named after the actor who played Sherlock. And I'm like, that's brilliant. <laughs> I didn't know that. Wait, Basil. Basil Rathbone played um, Sherlock Holmes in this. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, and I see. Basil, the great mass detective, is named after him. I see. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty deep cut. Mm, I love I that. I don't think... when. It, I don't think when it comes to top 10s, if I have to do a top 10 best films, I think I've, every time I've done it, I've just had to make the concession that these are going to be the films that I would gladly watch over and over and over again. So 2001 Space Odyssey is in there because I would gladly do that. But Fanny and Alexander, which I think is incredible, near perfect movie, is not going to be in there because I saw it once and was captivated, but I don't, it's not on my regular rotation. So I find that, it's always a personal thing for me. I find that even though, um, even though with like the best movies, you're like looking at the art or the acting or whatever, there's always, there's always, always the, do I actually like watching it one? Hmm. For example, Room, uh, you know Room with Brie Larson yeah. and not, uh, yeah. not the other guy? Um, Jake, Jacob Tremblay? No, uh, Tommy Wiseau. William H. Macy. Oh, oh, okay. I see what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I hate the room because I don't like bad movies uh, mm. that are just bad. I like cheesy movies, yeah. but I don't like bad. Right. Movies. But with Room, I'm like, this is probably fantastic. I'm never gonna watch it again. It's just very unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think. I mean, that's the way it goes for a lot of really unpleasant films, right? Except for Gaspar Noé. Again, I insist on showing people Irreversible and Enter the Void. Um, um, you know, you oh, there's a, yes, there's a 10-minute rape scene, but you've really got to see it on the big screen. Yeah, all that friends. rape on the big screen. What is with you? Incest, rape, what's going on? Are you okay? It's, yeah. No, I'm, I'm fine with it as long as it has a point, I feel. <laughs> Sometimes... Like Game of Thrones, occasionally you'll go, you really didn't need a rape in that, in that episode. Or, you know, that rape wasn't in the book. You just added that to, for drama. I think there's a, there's, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to say. I'm just letting you dig a hole. Yeah. Well, in, in film, there can be a justifiable reason to include a rape is the best way of phrasing that sentence. It's good. It's good save. I like that save. Thanks. Thanks. Um, Bit my tongue for a second there. What is um, your, who's your favorite character in Row of Ten Bombs? Hmm. I think I'm just drawn to Richie Tenenbaum played by Luke Wilson, the tennis player. I, look, incest is fine, right? No, it's, it's, um, it's not because of that. It's, there's just, some, there's just something about the way he, 
the way he comports himself throughout the movie. I'm just really drawn to his kind of quiet, reserved manner where getting this, even the smallest smile out of him feels like, feels like a huge victory. Um, it's, it's, it's really for nothing, nothing narrative. It's more just I really enjoy his presence on screen. It's a really, really good, quiet, tragic performance. Um, and he's got a really interesting arc. But I, I like all the characters. We haven't, you know, they have so many cool supporting characters, like Danny Glover, who plays Angelica Houston's new romantic interest. And Gene Hackman is trying to, like, figure out and then sabotage so he can't marry her. Um, you've got a whole bunch of Wes Anderson regular, regulars uh, whose names, unfortunately, I just never remember. But Owen, you've got Owen Wilson, who is just awesome in this. Um, okay. Hang on a second. Oh yeah, Owen Wilson is Owen Wilson is just awesome in this. He's again supremely tragic. He's this guy who has been a friend of the Tenenbaums for the longest time, and he ends up being this successful-ish author, and just wants to be part of the family. And looking at all of these supporting characters, they all feel like, and it might just be because I was talking about Mandy recently and thinking about things in a Jungian context, but it really feels like these characters are all part of the same psyche. Sometimes. And I think this is sometimes what happens when you have a director who's exploring similar themes in all of his movies. You tend to get characters who, like in a lot of art, who represent different parts of a person's personality or mind. And I do, I do sometimes feel like all these people are just warring parts of a psyche that are vying for dominance at times and just trying to, or trying to figure out how to get along. It's, it, it just makes the, the whole ensemble feel complete. It's, it's really difficult to talk about a favourite in that respect. Owen Wilson, did Owen Wilson write this movie? With Wes Anderson, I think, yeah. Yeah, I saw his name in the credits, so I'm like, oh, cool. Because yeah. I knew him as an actor, so I'm like, oh, I wonder what part he gave himself. <laughs> not, not quite the main, but um, no. Owen Wilson is Royal Tenenbaum, 65 years old. He's, he's got a very cool role in it. I really love his introduction to this when they're walking through the corridor with his, with his fawn, uh, fawning fans. And he's I, talking about his new book. He's saying, we all know that Custer, it? We all know that Custer died a little bighorn. What this book presupposes is maybe he didn't. And then he gives this like, great shitty grin as it cuts to the next is character. It a, is it a fictional book? Or is it like a it, non-fiction book that's just discussing theories is it a conspiracy theory or i don't i, I think he's this book he's i think he's writing the next great american novel and it's um and it's 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 bringing in history and philosophy and you know other things that sound cool i bet that'll work out <laughs> i usually does I, I can't imagine that that book is any good at all his reviews aren't very good as uh, as margot tenenbaum says oh that's a shame. Yeah. The sales are, though. So I think he, he's, he's popular, but not very well received oh, critically. Mm. Which is what, I, we, to, to be honest, there's more money in, in being popular than there is in being critically acclaimed. I mean, that's fair. That's why all the Twilight movies and their fan fiction's got movies. Yes. It's why every Kristen Stewart film that Paul reviews and uh, posts from... The OGT page gets, you know, a hundred retweets. I, I, I love, what I love about, um, about specific directors, um, style is that you can, you can feel them on screen. You're like, I 
get you, or at least I get yeah. what you're putting out there. You said that all of these characters were part of one psyche. They're part of like Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson's psyche because they're the ones that wrote it. Yeah. They were probably going I, back yeah. and forth uh, with it. Yeah. Writing from their experiences and writing how they interpret the world. Mm. I, I love it. It would have been better with, if it started Fox. This exact movie, but it's Fantastic Mr. Fox, it would be brilliant. I see where you're going with this. I think you've got a, fa- a favourite here that's not going to be budged. No, nah, sorry. But, like, second favourite, so thumbs up. Look, se- second favourite, I'll, I'll take that at this stage. It'll be what good. A pr- productive hour. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can hear this, but I've got some... Uh, uh, I've got some roadworks people outside who are cutting into the road at this stage. That's good. That Hopefully it won't be picked up on the recording. The software is really, really good. I've got a fan That's right, good. Behind, it's... right behind me because it's Australia, so we always have fans. Yeah, true. It's, yeah. This isn't, it wouldn't be the first time that Australian roadworks has ruined the clarity of one of my podcasts. Australian roadworks, it's kind of like skin cancer. Like it happens and you get it more in Australia because of the risk. Yeah, that's a pretty good an- analogy. It's ever present in my life. It's I, just, I heard just that um, in order to get roadworks in England, someone drew a cock and balls around um, potholes so that it get fixed. In here, it's just a constant stream of roadworks. Giving Australian jobs to Australian people. Got to be proud of that. Yeah. Well, he stopped briefly, so that's quite, that's quite nice. I'm enjoying that. <laughs> hmm. If you could watch it again uh, in cinemas for the hmm. first time, how would you think you'd react to it now versus when you watched it for the first time when you were like 12? It's really hard to say for sure, I guess. The, because so much of it is, is memory and nostalgia. Um, also assume that you've also watched I, other uh, Wes Anderson movies. I mean, I'd like to think that it would hit me in the same way. I can't be certain of that. Um, if, I, if I could at least have some foresight, I would make sure that the first time I saw it was in the cinema and not just on a TV at 1am. But that's really, it's really hard to, to say. I, I think, I mean, I, it would definitely be positive. It would definitely still, still hit me, but I wonder if just watching it for the first time would be enough. Always getting in with the hard questions. Mm, I cut it. I really like this movie. I like that. I like oh. that he has a distinct style. I like his voice. I want to see more of what he has done before, and I really, really like it. My favorite distinct voice in cinema. Oh crap! Who is he? He's the one that did Hellboy. Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. He did Hellboy Shape of Water. He has a thing for monsters that mm. I like. He is like, these guys are monsters, but like, they're not like scary monsters. They're really cool. This one, Sometimes this, one has, this one has uh, Abe Sapien, who's a fish man, yeah. uh, who's uh, really into books and has psychic powers. And this one has Abe Sapien, who has sex. <laughs> Have you seen Pan's Labyrinth? Shape of Water, no, not yet. Shape of Water is okay. so is so much better if you see it as a Hellboy prequel. 
if you see it as Doug Jones in a big fishman costume. Uh huh. He's the he's the guy who does all of his sort of main monster work, Doug Jones, and he's yeah Abe Sapien. He's Abe Sapien in the big fish sex costume in the shape of water. He's some he's a really creepy monster in Pan's Labyrinth. It's it's pretty awful. <laughs> Is he the one with the eyes in, on his head? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. I haven't seen that. Yeah. But I've seen like shots of it. I'm like, I need to this movie. You really need to. Oh, he's the, he, he might be the fawn as well. I think he's just the monster guy. If there's a monster with two legs, he usually plays it. Uh, and then if there's a monster with four legs, it's played by um, the CGI dog. guy. Well, Andy Serkis. Yeah, Andy Serkis. Is he the Andy Serkis for him. They, if, they, if they have to play a horse or a cow, then it's Doug Jones standing up and Andy Circus doing the back legs. But like, not CGI, but like a pantomime. Yeah. Just really obvious shit costume. So pant- and you like can a, see their, both like, of their faces. And they keep, yeah, and they keep bumping into each other when they have to walk and then stop suddenly. Looks like Doug. I want sure about what I'd love to, to do to test people's favorite movie is to make it for like 50 bucks um, mm. on stage. I think that'd be funny. I think you could do that with the Royal Tenenbaums, definitely. I, the Royal Tenenbaums feels like a play. Yeah, um, it's definitely staged that way. I, it'd be in like three rooms. It'd be in his, uh, mm. his bedroom, uh, the bathroom, and um, outside in the backyard. And you could do mm. every single scene in those three rooms. You could do an Arcadia thing with it and have it take place all at the same time on the same stage. And the stage just be Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson's head. <laughs> Remember the Princess Bride thing. So, <laughs> so he's reading the book, but it's Wes Anderson reading the book to Owen Wilson. Which one? Are they, are they both naked at this? or One of them's in the bath. Hey, you said the naked thing. I was thinking that they'd just be <laughs> like Princess Bride. <laughs> I'm just saying the thing that we all want to hear. Yeah. And what what us, we all want, Wes Anderson naked. <laughs> the fans have been clamoring for it, Wes, ever since Rushmore. I think you. But yeah, but what about his balls? Fictions. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what comes, right? He's, he's just done Isle of Dogs and that got a lot of success. Um, so something new, I would say. I prefer that to Fantastic Mr. Fox. To I'm be fair, dogs. to be completely honest, I prefer every Wes Anderson film to Fantastic Mr. Fox, except for Bottle Rocket. Oh, well, that's fine then. <laughs> Which is not to say that Fantastic Mr. Fox is bad. It's definitely not. I it's perfectly enjoyable, that. but the other one's just, uh, the other one's just hit harder for me. I of dogs. Yeah, um, I'd, say, I'd say that. I wanted to see it in cinemas, but then I sort of didn't. I don't mm. know why I didn't. It's not like it was out. It wasn't like available, but I just yeah. didn't. Have you got any movies like that? Ones where you saw um, it came out and you're like, I want to see that, and then you just sort of don't. Overlord, I didn't. I didn't see last year. Um, God, I really, really wanted to. It looked great, and then I just didn't bother. And then, um, I mean, I saw it about a month ago, and yeah, it's incredible. It's just. Such Overlord a fun movie. Such a fun movie. And it's a great rental. You're, you didn't miss out by watching it at home. Um, it would have been good with the big screen, though, I think. All movies would. But mm. 
as far as it goes, you got zombie Nazis, and that works in any stream. Add that to anything. Yeah. Literally Mary anything. Mary yeah, Poppins. Princess Bride. Uh, Prince- Princess Bride with zombie Nazis would work fine. because I mean, that basically just makes it Wolfenstein. No, but it would work brilliantly because the kid's like, this is boring, let's have, let's have zombie Nazis. It cuts to the kid. Who's, I forget the actor's name, but it cuts to the kid, and he's like, enough of this uh, pirate sword crap. Let's have zombie Nazis. He buys zombie Nazis. And it's just <laughs> creating okay. stories. Uh, <laughs> and it's so fu- it, That'd be hilarious. If, like, the, if, Cut to the kids being chased down a dark corridor, screaming for their life. It's exactly the same movie, but uh, the kid is bored with it. <laughs> is it going to be really gory as well? So the kid's really bored, but the zombies are in the, in the story, eating flesh and tearing ligaments and that kind of thing. Yeah. The kid's just so the stage belongs yeah, in a break. Like, the kid's cutting away before we see blood yeah. to be like, I want to read you this story. Because <laughs> do you know... Zombies, Grandpa, boring. Give me a quaalude. <laughs> do you know the premise of the Princess Bride book? Uh, is it different to the movie? Uh, no, sort of. Okay. The premise of the Princess Bride is that the author, William Coldman, the author, mm. had the Princess Bride read to him by his father, right? And oh, okay. it turns out that it was a really shit book. Like with 45 pages of her princess lessons and like all this boring, terrible dialogue. It was just a really crap book. And so this is the abridged version that's like, my dad read it to me and cut out like all the boring stuff. So I'm just going to skip over the 45 pages of, um, of etiquette lessons and crap like that and get right to pirate stuff. Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, that, that's very cool. It works really well for the book and um, in the movie, they skip that part, but like, it's still the, the grandfather reading to his grandson. Mm-hmm. Back in I like that. For called books. <laughs> yeah. It's stupid old people. But I think that's, I mean, if, if you like that, then definitely check out Grand Budapest Hotel because okay. there's a similar, not massively similar, but similar sort of starting point. And then it's, yeah, I, it probably has similar, similar atmosphere at times because of that. That's a good one to watch. My, my other favourite is the Darjeeling Limited, and it's not a lot of other people's favourite, but I think that's, I, it's just a really brilliant character study of three assholes. I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure it was... I started listening to One Good Thing on your last uh, year roundup, where mm. one of you were t- was talking about a black-and-white three-hour foreign movie and you're like, no one's going to watch it. Was that Hard to Be a God? Yeah. I tried yeah. watching Hard to Be a God, but it's like all at once. Three hours, <laughs> black and white, and foreign. And I'm like, I cannot watch this. Tick, 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 in the bin. I that ch- sounds great. I, I, I have been meaning to watch that, actually. I have a copy. Paul gave me a copy, and I really want to watch it. And I feel I bad because I haven't been. But... I tried watching it, and it's just so long. <laughs> long isn't bad, though. It is when it feels long. Right, yeah, okay. A, a, a mark of a good film is that you don't feel its length. Exactly. Like, for example, um, Master Disguise is about 80 minutes, and that's the longest mm. movie I've ever seen. It goes for about nine hours. Oh, okay. We all died at the end of it. It was that it, long. 
God, I hate Master Disguise. And I hate the fact that I liked it when I was a kid. The only reason I saw it is because it used to be my favorite movie when I was like six and a half. And it was at that mm. point that I realized that I had shit taste. Um, well, we all do a little bit, unless you're Paul Salt. His taste seems to have been pretty good from the day he was born. I doubt that. We can't all be that. I will fight him. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. I have a, um, have a chart of 100 movies. And like mm. the fact that most of these aren't on there proves just how limiting a hundred movies is. It's got 2001 yeah. a space odyssey, a movie that I actively avoid because uh, the cinematography is great, but the characters suck because that's the point. I was told that the characters being bad is the point because they, the technology took away the humanity and blah, blah, blah. I don't give a shit. All the characters suck. Ah, I am um, actually, that was my memory of it for the longest time. And uh, then I saw it again. I actually went to the cinema to see it for my 30th birthday because they were showing it in London. And the characters don't suck. They're still full of humor and there's dryness there. They're still, they're still human. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's been bleached out from the, the, the environment. And their relationship, with, their relationship with technology has maybe changed the way they interact i just i was surprised at how funny it was and how funny. entertaining entertaining yeah and how entertaining their interactions were no it's not you know it's not laugh out loud it's not not dick van dyke falling over things but it's um but there's a very <laughs> very clever quiet humor there i guess but at the same time i already tried like three times i'm good i think that it's just one of those where i'm just like not for everyone it's not for me i yeah. I love uh, more character-focused stuff, like the Royal Tenenbaums. I like, hmm. I like feeling the characters' uh, lives and the fact that the computer is the most human character in that entire movie is A, on purpose, and B, I didn't respond to it at all. Hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think that the computer's the most human thing either, but... It's the only one that, uh, I mean, it's the only one that acts like it's scared or... Uh, and it's the only one that it's a whole thing i i would get into it but i don't want to so there's a there's a long long time and we've still got three hours of endgame to talk about right um <laughs> so bye this is going to be a whole thing isn't it endgame is going to be the thing that people talk about for like the next month or week <laughs> it, it is it, it it definitely definitely is i wouldn't i'm definitely I, joking about bringing it up on this podcast but um, I'd avoid spoilers. This is it's why yeah. I like living in Australia with Marvel movies because for some reason we get them like a day or seven earlier. It's amazing. So, screw think, you, America. I know. I think I saw Infinity War on Anzac Day last year, and it was fucking rad. It's a great so, thing uh, to do on yeah. Anzac Day. You go to the morning service, then you do the uh, then you do Infinity War. It's a great double feature. <laughs> <laughs> great great dualism there um yeah infinity walk and wait there'll be there'll be opportunities to talk about that at a later date i'm sure i'm sure so, yeah royal tenenbaums it's pretty yeah. good royal tenenbaums pretty good i d- i'm glad you liked it i definitely recommend it to uh to people i okay who's this movie for because no movies to everyone who do you think this movie is no for? I would say it's for me, but that that alienates literally everyone, including one billion people on this earth. Yeah, 
because we're not, you know, we're not all totally unique, but unfortunately for everyone else, no one's exactly like me. So I would say for, pe- for people who appreciate good, good character studies, a good sense of a world, uh, who, who enjoy inventive cinematography, who in, enjoy, enjoy and, watching the scenery as much as the plot. And who, people who also enjoy hyper-reality and yeah. who, who don't mind or um, like strange dialogue that's unrealistic but still fits the characters and fits the world mm. that it's part of. Yeah, I guess hy- hyperreal strives to sort of replicate life almost too accurately, right? And I guess it's it, it's kind of that in a sense that there are there is something very real about it. There's but the there 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 is something wonderfully magical about Wes Anderson movies. I don't I don't think it's just for people who are film students or people who enjoy watching very technically uh technically brilliant films because it's it's not about that it's it's hard to say i just think that anyone who's got the time to to sit down and get into a wes anderson movie should there's i I don't think it would exclude anyone just by nature of what it is um i think by this point you've already decided if you like wes anderson or not and if you do Mm. like wes anderson and you haven't seen this then you should give it a go just saying that a movie's good or bad isn't really helpful, which is why I'm glad that we got to go into detail mm. why you like this movie so much. And cool. I really appreciate how it was made and all this technical stuff. I didn't respond to it as much as I wish I, as I, wish I did, but mm. I don't think Wes Anderson is going to be, ever be one of my favourite directors but I am glad that he's working and I'm really glad that he's not boring. I mean, I'll take that. That's pretty good. Excellent. <laughs> I'm yeah, curious to see where he goes next. Um, it's, it's been a couple of films since I was properly bowled over, but it's, he's made a few at this stage. He's one of the most we'll unique we'll voices uh, working today. Yeah, I'll agree on that. Okay. I think that's it. I think we're, we're good. You got anything else you want to yeah. cover? No, I think I'm good. I'm out of Tenenbaum's trivia. Fair enough. Okay, then. <laughs> Where can the good people find you? You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at OGT Pod. On Instagram now, actually, uh, I have, against all advice, all good advice from people I respect, begun the Instagram account. And you can get us there on OGT Pod as well. Uh, on iTunes, we're just one good thing. We're also available on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, uh, every, every podcatcher, really. One good thing's the name. What's Finding it about? Good thing. Bad movies is the game. Oh yeah, it's just about yeah, taking a positive look at, at bad cinema, challenging a few untruths such as they don't make them like that anymore, um, and yeah, also that some films are just totally utterly worthless. I am going to. I think by the time this comes out, I'm already going to be on. But other Paul invited yeah. me to talk about Sharknado three which is my favourite bad movie. And yeah. it's in a... Dis- Sharknado 3 is in a distinct... Um, and we'll get into it, but Sharknado 3 is in a distinct camp of trying to be campy and stupid. 
So people that like that sort yeah. of thing when it's done honestly hate it. And also people that like good movies hate it. So I'm the only one. You might well be. I mean, they did make four. So five, five, seven. Seven. Uh, I love that movie. Yeah. And I'll, I'll get into when I get onto your podcast. Can't wait. You can find It'll me. It'll be a joy, I'm sure. You can find me on Twitter at Aussie Nerds Pod, on Facebook, Aussie Nerds. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd. I have a Letterboxd account uh, where I make lists of movies and log movies that I've seen. Uh, that's also Aussie Nerds. I'm very good at branding. If you subscribe to this, um, subscribe to this podcast feed, uh, I talk about people's favorite movies with them, different person every week. Uh, and if you want to be on it, I want to hear your voice as well. So tweet me uh, at Aussie Nerds Pod if you want to be on the podcast. I'd love to have you. We'll talk about anything as long as it's from the heart and it's not just ironic. As long as you love it, I'll talk about it and I'll watch it. It's it's going to be a great awesome. time. Can I just can I just say because I completely forgot and I've got to get into the habit of doing this. Sure. One good thing, a part of the A Lot of Green Net podcast network, uh, we joined a couple of months ago. They're really awesome. If you go to alotofgreen.com.au, then you can find loads of really good Australian podcasts and us because I do qualify as Australian at this stage. Congratulations. That's Thank how you. you. That's how Thanks you. Thanks That's how you know. That's how you know you've made it. That and being on the Aussie Nerds podcast. Oh, how nice. <laughs> I can't wait to be on Thank your podcast. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be, it's going to be a ripper. Even if, if you yeah, hate Sharknado 3, I will tell yeah. you why you're wrong in great detail with hand gestures. I welcome it. It'll be so much fun. <laughs> with, with offensive hand gestures. The only way an Australian knows how. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Look, thanks for having me on, man. It was a blast. It was heaps of fun. I'm really glad to finally have seen this movie and talk about it with you. It's great just to talk about a movie I love for a change. It, it, I, figured, I figured you'd appreciate that. You have another podcast, though. or One of you does. Uh, you have the um, uh, movie podcast. What's it called? Filmy Fortunes? Yeah. Neither of you yeah, that's, that's Fortunes. Yeah, that's Salt's, Salt's Baby with uh, another pool, in fact. There, it, I wanted to be a part of it, and you can't have three pools in one podcast. There's just, there's, it's, people won't stand for it. So it's it's Paul Salt and then Paul Hawkins from the Bloatbusters podcast. Yeah, they 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 have their own movie quiz podcast, which uh, which we won last year. Uh, I want to be. Some might say unsurprisingly. I want to be on yeah. that, but but part of me is like, I know so much about very specific movies. Like if there was mm. a Princess Bride one, nailing it. Uh, but yeah, well, this is I'm, I'm I don't bombed know that pool. And stuff. Mm. I, I can't wait. It's difficult. Yeah, it's no, it's going to be awesome. Really I can't wait to have you on. It's going to be really fun. Um, but until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.